Hi, and welcome to When It Goes Wrong, the podcast about disasters, accidents, and times when everything falls apart. I'm Jasmine, your host, and this is a new mini-sode. So I'll be re- releasing these occasionally. Uh, normally I release every sec- every other Tuesday for the main episodes, but I'll be releasing these on the alternate Tuesday. And these mini-sodes will generally focus on anything I think is interesting and, and things that have gone wrong in the news or kind of current day. Usually it just means there's not enough content to do a whole episode, but I, I still really want to talk about it. So on this episode, I want to talk about the blockage of the Suez Canal by the Ever Given container ship. If you've listened to all of these episodes, you'll know from the, my very first episode that I am really interested in shipping. <laughs> I don't really know why, just find it really fascinating. So uh, when this happened earlier in the year, it was something that I followed really quickly and I noticed that um, a few people messaged me on Instagram being like, I bet you're interested in this. And I definitely was. I want to just talk about what happened and what's currently going on. So on the morning of the 23rd of March this year, the um, shipping around the world ground to a halt when the 400 metre ever given ship, which was going from Malaysia to the Netherlands, got stuck diagonally across the Suez Canal. So for a little bit of background, uh, the Suez Canal connects the Mediterranean Sea and the Red Sea, and it cuts through Egypt, and it's essential for shipping and trade. So it means that ships don't have to go all the way down and around Africa, and it generally cuts off something like 10 days of sailing. So in today's world, that is a huge amount of savings that you can make by by cutting through the Suez Canal. Uh, The canal itself is it's pretty thin. There are some areas of it which have two-way traffic, but the majority of it is just one-way traffic. So they do basically convoys where groups of ships will go one way and then they'll, you know, wait for them to get through and then and then groups will go the other way. And it usually will handle around 50 ships a day in in either direction. So on that morning, the Ever Given was fifth in a convoy with 15 ships behind it. But a sandstorm soon whipped up and that really decreased visibility. And it also it meant there was a lot of wind. And those combined really meant that the ship lost the ability to steer. This also added to the fact that there's something called the bank effect, which basically is where if you have really big boats in very narrow channels, there tends to be this effect where it will kind of like suck the back of the boat towards the edge just because of like the different forces going on with like such a big ship. So that all combined and soon enough on the ever given one end of the ship hit the bank and it dug dug deep into the ground and got itself very stuck. And then the rest of the ship kind of rotated and whacked against the other bank. And I'm sure you will have seen the pictures of this giant ship literally blocking the entire canal and totally stopping any movement either way. The ship itself was huge. It was 400 metres in length, which is more than two football fields. And it had over 20,000 containers on it. So it was super heavy. It weighed 224,000 tonnes. And I couldn't even picture, like, I couldn't even imagine how heavy that was. So a tonne is what a giraffe weighs, or what a walrus weighs, or what a small like Volkswagen Beetle car ways. So imagine 224,000 of those. 
That's how heavy this ship is. So it was just ginormous. And the fact that it was so big just meant that once it got stuck, it was very hard to get it moving again. So initially, the authorities tried to move the ship using tugs. Uh, and tugs are like little tugboats. Uh, they're basically very powerful boats. So they've got very powerful engines. And they work to help move large ships, either by pulling them, or sometimes they will literally push them, like like whack up against it and, and push the boats out of the way. Um, but even once they got these tugs going, it was clear that this ship was not moving anywhere. They combined this with a few other things. So they tried to make the, the ship lighter. They released 9,000 tons of ballast water. They released fuel. They tried to use like pumps to rebalance the ship. So they did a lot of like different things early on to really try and get it moving. So over the following days, more and more tugs were used. Up to 14 were, were, using, um, were being used by the ship to try and get it free. The authorities then also started to dredge the canal. So they were getting these big like diggers in to try and move some of the earth around where it was wedged in to try and just get it back in the water, basically. And the hope was that they could kind of dig out the front of it and then use the tugs to pull it and, and, and swing it around. So despite lots of high tides, all of the tugs, all of the digging, uh, the ship was very much still stuck. And it was because, mainly because it was just so heavy. And there was a lot of speculation at the time, if you're reading the articles, about how potentially this ship could be stuck there for weeks. And this has actually happened in other cases, not in the Suez Canal, which is why it's never been publicised as much. But there have been salvage operations which have taken weeks in order to get the ships free. And they thought that what they may have to do is basically get like cranes on boats next to it to then take some of the containers off to try and make the ship lighter so then they could refloat it and move it back out. But luckily that didn't happen. <laughs> luckily it has not happened. Um, so by this point, the ship has been stuck for six days and there were almost 400 boats and ships waiting to try and pass through the canal. So literally hundreds of ships on both sides of the canal just waiting. And the the delays that that cost, we're talking like billions, billions and millions of pounds every day just in, in delays with these ships and with the amount of stock that they were carrying. So thankfully, by this point, six days later, two more seagoing tugs arrived and they had huge amounts of towing capacity. So they more than doubled the towing capacity that they already had on site. So that was a really key thing. And what they eventually did is they combined the 14 tugs, <laughs> including the two new ones that had a lot more power, the dredging. And then luckily, there was a supermoon king tide, which is a very high tide that happens in the spring. And it only happens three to four times a year, but it just meant that the canal was, was a lot higher and that made it a lot easier to refloat the boat. So thankfully, the ship was able to be refloated and then was maneuvered away from where it was stuck. At that point, the ship was then tugged away to Great Bitter Lake, where uh, divers could then inspect the canal, make sure that it was still safe for other ships to go through. Uh, it allowed them to inspect the ship and see how, whether that was um, carrying any damage or anything like that. And then thankfully, the Suez Canal reopened. 
but it did take a further two weeks to clear the, that backlog of 400 ships that were just waiting either side. So in terms of what we learned on this occasion is that the impacts of this were huge so it wasn't like it was so monetary so they lost billions in terms of delays for the ships but also a lot of the ships were carrying food some were carrying animals and it just meant that they lost their cargo they lost the ability to then sell that food and and then what then happened was the ever given ship the one that was stuck then got impounded by the Egyptian government and it's still impounded now and the Egyptian government are demanding $900 million in in basically like lost fees that Egypt has lost because, because Egypt charges people to go through the sewers and that brings in a lot of money to Egypt. They lost millions and millions of dollars. So the the ship is just yeah, still hanging out in, in Egypt uh, waiting to see what the outcome of this legal battle will be in order to release it. So the analysis into the block is like into what happened is still continuing, but I think the impacts and the lessons could be very large. There there hasn't, it became clear there hasn't been enough analysis as to how these like humongous ships really work, especially in shallow water, especially in these waterways. And, you know, there's not enough understanding about the forces and really how they work because, the ships have just scaled up so quickly that the kind of studies haven't kept pace with them. So hopefully what this will mean is that it will encourage the analysis and the study of of this type of movement to make sure that ships are even safer in future and this won't happen again. The size of the ships is also being analysed and considered, uh, especially because, you know, ships as big, they clearly save some money because it means that you can ship more in, in one vessel but the thing is, is that when it goes wrong, it goes really wrong. <laughs> and it's then very expensive in order to fix it. So it may be tricky for these boats to get insurance. And it may, you know, it may indicate a shift maybe within shipping to smaller boats potentially. Uh, but it's definitely something that is going to impact the the shipping world for, for a long time to come. And I think will be very important. So anyway, that was just my little thoughts on on the Ever Given because I thought it was just, yeah, just, I, if you haven't seen the photos, which I'm sure you have, but do go and look at them because they just blow, blow my mind how crazy it is that what happened. But yeah, so I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any suggestions for mini-sodes like this, then do drop me a note. You can follow me on Instagram at whenitgoeswrongpod or email me at whenitgoeswrongpod at gmail.com. Oh,